0: Time. And as our Cactus campus joins us, as Northridge joins us, as well as our chapel next door in our venue, uh, we hope and trust you guys had a, an amazing time of worship as well that draws you to God, because now we're going to turn to His Word. We are in the last installment of our 14-6 series, where we've been taking a look at uh, some chapter 14, verse 6 passages in the Bible, and we're going to do part two of Wisdom today. And then next week, we start a short three-week series uh, called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Uh, you can probably guess what parable that is about uh, in the New Testament, but I've never done here a three-week parable or three-week series on that parable, and it's going to be uh, quite a, a profound look at the uh, the prodigal son story. We're going to take a look at the younger son the older son, and the father each individually, and you will identify yourself at some point in the series with one of those characters. And so you can be looking forward to that. And so uh, why don't we pray and bow right now, and then we're going to dive in. Father... Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word guides us in how we are to think. It nudges us in how we're to feel. Uh, Certainly, Lord, it directs us in how we are to act as followers of Jesus in this fallen world of ours. So I pray that as we talk today about this idea of character and how character and wisdom go together, I pray that you would give us the, the wisdom that we need to live rightly Uh, before you as we walk with you in this world. That's my prayer. And I pray this in Jesus' name and we say together, amen. So I think I know the answer to this. I just want you to raise your hand here in a second. But I'm guessing I know what's going to happen right now here and at our other campuses and venues. I want any of you to raise your hand if you've ever done something in life that you would label stupid and it reveals that you need wisdom in life. Raise your hand if that has ever happened to you. So for those of you who didn't raise your hand, liars. You are liars. (laughs) Because the point is, all of us have done stupid things in life that reveal to us our need for wisdom to get through this fallen world. I'm sure it happened before I was 18, but I can remember when I was 18 years old and just graduated from high school, an incredibly stupid thing that I did that just hammered home that I would need to spend the rest of my life trying to find wisdom. Wisdom. I was living that summer in my hometown of Chagrin Falls, Ohio. Again, just graduated high school, looking to go off to college. And on a particular summer night in my hometown, uh, I was out cruising with my buddies. Now, that dates me. Do you all remember what cruising was? That's when you would drive around in these small rural towns and just you had nothing better to do. So you drove around looking for trouble, and we were out there cruising, me and my buddies. And I I remember that night, because here's the car I was driving. It was a 1969 Chevy Caprice. Caprice is French for boat. And this was a a massive car, and I had myself and four of my buddies in the car, and we were driving around that night. And at about 11 o'clock, we were coming into the village limits. Chagrin is a really small town outside of Cleveland. And we were just about ready to drive in front of the most iconic building in town called the Popcorn Shop. Here's a picture of it. Just a beautiful old building. They sell what? Say it with me. Popcorn. And so this was the hangout for a lot of kids back then. And so at 11 at night, a lot of my buddies are in front of the popcorn shop just kind of waiting for trouble. And we were about ready to drive by. And and, and we were all college-bound young men, supposedly very smart. And my best friend said to me, wouldn't it be neat if we ghost drove your car past the popcorn shop? And I said, what do you mean? He said, what if we all duck down and honk the horn and make it look like nobody's driving the car? And being an intelligent, college-bound young man, I said, that sounds great. So we all ducked down, and we drive by the popcorn shop, and I'm like this in the steering wheel, and I'm honking the horn, and after what was, seemed like about 10 seconds, my buddy Bill looks over to me. I can still see his face. He looks over to me, and, and, and he says to me, uh, you might want to look up. So I look up, and and I'm heading right toward a late-model Monte Carlo parked along the side of the road, and I was going to hit it. So I swerved at the last moment, and and I did avoid a head-on collision, and I sideswiped this Monte Carlo all down the driver's side. I mean, back fender, door, front fender. I mean, I just totaled the car. I stopped, all of us got out, we looked at it, and all my friends came running over, and this is a true story. To a person, they all looked around and said, Nobody saw it, run. (laughs) Now, I I write about this in my book. I've always had a very tender conscience, even before I came to know the Lord. And I, you know, when I did something wrong, I, I almost always came clean. So I was not going to run. It's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. It's gonna get around. What I did do, however, is I didn't know where to go, so I ran home. We live about six houses at that time uh, outside the city limits, right along Franklin Street. So I I ran home, and and I woke my dad. He was sleeping, and, and I told him what happened. And this is a true story. You can't make this stuff up. He looked at me, and he said, why are you telling me go tell the police? And he went back to bed. So I... Don't you love parenting back then? And so I I, I ran downstairs and I ran to the police station and and I got them and they came out to where the accident was and by then the owners of the Monte Carlo had come out and they were so nice. I mean, they had every reason to be so furious at me but this guy was really laid back. He said, accidents happen, this is why he got insurance. And and the officer had to obviously write up a ticket for me because I hit the car and he said, what happened? And again, I had another choice here, right? and 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 i chose to to come clean i always had that that kind of track record so i told him everything that happened and i'll never forget he looked up and he said really and i said yeah and he said how about this i'm going to write down on the ticket driver not at attention would that do and i said that's perfect and uh i got away with a ticket and uh, obviously a high insurance claim now That was one of the more stupid things that I ever did as a young adult. So let's track the wisdom and the lack of wisdom in that scenario. Uh, Lack of wisdom is ghost riding a car uh, uh, next to the popcorn shop. Uh, Wisdom was not listening to my friends and running, right? Uh, Not wisdom was running to dad and not the police initially. Dad would point that one out. Uh, Wisdom was being honest with the police about what happened. And then real wisdom was ever since then, I've never done anything quite that stupid. And I learned from that event. Here's my point. I'm guessing, I'm guessing that each one of you could tell a similar story. Maybe not something this stupid or maybe you outdid me, but at least a story of when and how you realized that life takes wisdom. That's the point. That if you're going to make it in this fallen world with your fallen mind and emotions, we're all imperfect, that you need this, this practical knowledge. That's what wisdom is. It's knowledge that knows what to do around every corner in life that we all need it to make it in this world. And so last week, we began a discussion on wisdom, and by way of quick review, we essentially noted something about wisdom that many people tend to miss, and that is that character precedes wisdom. Man, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this, character precedes wisdom, In other words, wisdom is not something that you simply go out and find through asking your buddies or reading a self-help book or watching daytime talk shows. No, that's our culture's way. That's what a lot of people think is how you find wisdom. No, wisdom, according to the Bible, according to our maker, according to God, is more upstreamed in life. It gets built over time as you and I develop the kind of character that prepares us to recognize and receive the wisdom that God has for us. In other words, we realized last week, and you'll see the scripture verse that tells us this in a minute, that that life is about developing the kind of character, becoming the kind of person that then can receive the wisdom that God has for us. That's how wisdom comes to our lives. And we know that this is true because of our theme verse found in Proverbs 14, 6, that says this, A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. So we spent all last week parsing out this verse, and we noted that a scoffer is simply somebody who mocks and ridicules God's truth and those who hold God's truth, and that somebody like that was going to seek wisdom because we all want it, but he'll never find it. But then we noted that knowledge, which is a synonym for wisdom here, it's the same thing. So wisdom and knowledge is easy for a person of understanding. And we ended last week by noting that that phrase, man of understanding, is one word in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word being, B-Y-N, pronounced being, and that this word occurs 171 times in the Old Testament. And then when you trace what the Bible means by a person of understanding, what we call a discerner, because that seems to be the key here, because wisdom is easy for that person, that you find that, that the 171 Verses kind of give us 10, at least 10 character traits that, that describe this person of understanding. And so we ended last week by wetting your whistle and noting that this week we were going to pick up on that and look at the 10 character traits, all found in association with this word being in the Old Testament, and that we, they, they, they neatly fall into two different buckets what we called life in the world and then your walk with God. So simply put, there's a character in how you and I live Monday through Saturday in the world that the Bible's now gonna describe. A character that upstreams you, that prepares you to find wisdom if you so choose to develop it. And then there's a character that you bring in your walk with God everywhere you go that likewise prepares you for wisdom. So that's what we're going to do today is look at these 10 traits. So first, let's look at life in the world. And the first character trait as we trace this Hebrew word being throughout the Old Testament, this man of understanding or person of understanding, is the character trait of experience. Experience. So check out what De- Deuteronomy 1 verse 13 says. The context here is that the Israelites have been led out of Egypt by Moses, y'all remember that, and they wandered in the desert for how long? Say it with me. Forty years. Good, y'all went to Sunday school, you remember that. And, and, and during those 40 years, the Israelites multiplied greatly into a very sizable people, and so Moses needs to appoint leaders for each group of people. And look at what he says and does in Deuteronomy 1.13. He says, choose wise and discerning, that's that Hebrew word being, and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. So what I simply need you to notice here is that wisdom discernment, this person of understanding and experience are all meshed together in this passage here. And so what it tells us here is that experience in the ups and downs of life, your experience and mine breeds a character, or at least it can, that primes a person for wisdom. And the reason that this is so important to recognize that experience is part of what God uses to give us wisdom is that many of us tend to see all of our up and down experiences in life, and tell me if this isn't true, as either good or bad, fortunate or unfortunate, Happy or sad, wonderful or tragic. In other words, we tend to lump our experiences into one of two piles, the stuff that we like and think is good and the stuff that is bad and we think we should kind of put behind us. What you need to know is you do so at your own peril because God doesn't see it that way. God knows that you live in a fallen world. He knows that you're going to have trouble in this world. Heaven is the perfect place. This is not. So, He decided long time ago to use all of the experiences, good and bad, up and down in this fallen world, to shape a character in you and me that, if we will let it, will prime us for a life of wisdom. In other words, it's all of your experiences that God knits together as to forming who you are and what kind of wisdom that you will have. As Rick Warren says so well, God never wastes a hurt, and he's right, that God wants to use all of what you've been through, even the ugly, to form in you a character that will give you wisdom. You know, if you've been around Scottsdale Bible Church for any length of time, you know that we show regularly uh, a portion of our service that we call My Story, My Story. And and what we simply do is we identify people uh, in our congregation who have a story. We all have a story to tell. And we send a, a, a camera crew to their environment, their work, and their home, and we just have them tell their story And we usually have about an hour of footage and stuff like that, and we distill it to a five-minute My Story that we share with you. We do these all the time around here. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but our My Stories tend to have a regular theme to them. And the theme is, is that as we all go along in this fallen world, there comes a point where either just through the world or even our own choices, uh, things can get kind of rough. That that, that a raw deal comes our way in life, even sometimes immense tragedy. And and yet the turning point in the my story is that when God enters into it, he does something that only he can do to turn tragedy into triumph, that God is, is really good at doing that. But one of the my stories I was reminded of recently was a gal named Doreen. You can find it on our website if you dig deep enough. It's a my story we told a couple years ago when I was with Doreen and her husband on our trip in the footsteps of Paul in Greece a few weeks ago. And Doreen and I, at one point, were talking about her story. And again, this is a public story. It's an amazing thing that happened to her where she, you know, was living the, the perfect life, if you will, here in Scottsdale. Very successful or realtor and, you know, just kind of living the dream as we hear people say so often around here. And, and at one point, due to all the stress and busyness and what have you, even though she knew better and even though she was raised in a Christian home, she started to drink uh, a lot more than she should And she started to drink more regularly, and she got a DUI. And though you think that that would stop her, it didn't. Then she got another DUI, a second one. And then that didn't stop her. She got a third DUI. This is all in her story. And after the third DUI, the state of Arizona has enough. It's jail time for you. And so they sentenced her to a year and a half in tent city. So this wonderful Christian, you know, Scottsdale woman, now every weekend, because it was a weekend thing, every weekend for a year and a half had to go down to Tent City and spend the weekend there. Whether it was 115 degrees or 30 degrees at night, she had to go down there. And the way she tells the story is amazing because initially, obviously, she was bemoaning that and all that stuff as any of us would, but, but, but God began to change her. She started to see God's hand in all of this, not excusing what she had done, but him working despite what she had done. And she realized that this opportunity to be in Tent City could be an amazing ministry opportunity. And so instead of saying, I have to go to Tent City this weekend, she started saying to herself, I get to go to Tent City this weekend. And one of the rules that Tent City has is that you're allowed to bring one book in each time you go. And so what book do you think she brought in with her? Can you say it with me? The Bible. And she would conveniently leave a Bible there every week so that she brought in over 75 Bibles into Tent City and just left them there each time. And she got to witness to people and she just, she saw it as such a ministry That afterward, and this is the whole point of this, she said to me when we were uh, talking about this, she said, as I look back, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. She didn't mean the DUI. She's not excusing that. What she meant was, is that what God brought her through all of this, even the bad, he used to form and shape her character. I got to ask you, how do you see all of your experiences How do you see even the experiences you are going through right now, whether it's your fault or not? Could it be that God is forging some wisdom in you? Could it be that if you will let God and stop fighting him, that he just might use your up and down experiences to forge a character that breeds wisdom that others will look at and go, whoa, only God. Now, we're just ramping up. Because the second character trait that we get from life in the world is this, and that is a broad view, a broad view. Now, what do we mean by that? I showed you a verse in Deuteronomy 1 just a few minutes ago. Let's go to the end of the book now, and notice what it says at the end of this book uh, as it challenges God's people on how they should live. Deuteronomy 32, verse 7. It says, remember the days of old, consider, that's that Hebrew word being translated other places, discern or a person of understanding, consider the years of all generations, ask your father and he will inform you, your elders and they will tell you. And now folks, this is a fascinating, fascinating verse. It's telling us, if you look closely, that a discerner, a person of understanding, is someone who surveys the entire landscape of life, history, the years of generations, others, your parents and your elders, and in so doing, forges a character that primes a person for wisdom. So this isn't simply a person who sees the world around them, from their own myopic vantage point, only looking at things from his or her own limited perspective as so many Christians do. No, this is somebody who has a broad-based conviction in life that has a broad view of things in this world. And I would argue that this covers everything from how you see politics to parenting to relationships to your view of work, even to your theology. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't have your opinions or shouldn't make discernments about things, but as you do this, what will breed wisdom in you is to have the kind of character that adds a little bit more breadth to how you see things than maybe up to this point your narrow way of seeing them has been. But what am I talking about here? Let me pick on theology right now and me. You know, one of the things that you guys have probably noticed in the 12 years that I've been your pastor is that I resist very strongly doing something that a lot of my fellow pastors tend to do, and that is getting caught up on theological rabbit trails or theological bunny trails and making uh, mountains out of molehills, making the the majors out of the minors when it comes to theological issues. In other words, when people come up to me and they do it so regularly and say, why don't you talk more about this or why don't you believe more about that, I, I, I quickly go on to say, well, I, I understand the Bible and I understand the 2,000 year history of theological thought based on the Bible and, and here are the things that we are going to major on and focus on. And I resist very strongly uh, getting my little pet theological peeves as something that I'm going to put on all of us. Because I might have them, but a broad view demands differently. A broad view reads the Bible, discerns what is the most important things like salvation history and the primacy of the Word of God and an understanding of the Trinity and Jesus as our only Savior. I mean, these are all the basic fundamental things in the Bible, and those are the things we focus on. And I want you to hear this very clearly. It does not mean that I don't have my theological convictions. I do. And I'm generally correct in my theological convictions. <laughs> And you can see how I think. But I also realize that in the history of theology, even in the world today, these things are debatable and it's not for me to try to force them on everybody else. Does that make sense? And so you'll notice I don't do that very often. And that's just one example. I think that part of wisdom getting in this world is that we take a broad view of things and yes, have your convictions, I'm not saying that, but keep them in perspective. And that if we do this, God says, you're developing the best kind of character that will give you wisdom when you need it most. And then as you're chewing on that, notice with me a third character trait of a person of understanding, a discerner who has wisdom. And this one should not surprise any of us, but it's worth parking in front of for a few minutes. And that is that a person of understanding has a moral compass, they have a moral compass. The Bible could not be more clear here. I want you to look at how 1 Kings verse 3 or chapter 3 verse 9 uses this idea of being a discerning person. The context here is that King Solomon, you guys remember him, is praying to God. And at one point, he's asking God for wisdom. And look at how he does so. This is very revealing. 1 Kings 3 9. Solomon says, So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern being, that's that Hebrew word we're tracing here, to discern between good and evil. To discern between good and evil. So a person of understanding who finds wisdom easily, according to Proverbs fourteen six, is someone who understands that this fallen world has both good and evil in it, and watch this, can distinguish between the two. In other words, this is somebody who has a clear moral compass. And though this might sound so simple to many of you church folk, I got to tell you, the reason that this is so incredibly relevant today is that you and I live in an American culture today, a 21st century American culture, that is increasingly about what they call a common morality or a secular morality. A common morality or a secular morality, what is that? Well, if you read closely in a lot of the cultural happenings today, it's a morality that is trying to liberate itself from the confines of the Judeo-Christian worldview and find a common morality among all the worldviews in America today that just might work for all of us. There's been a lot written on this. In fact, our previous president, Obama, wrote an article in USA Today way back in 2007. I was reading it when he was running for president, in which he defined this common morality that we can all agree on. And though it sounds so wonderful because it's inclusive and it's multicultural and it fits all the cultural happenings today, there's only one problem with it. And I don't mean to sound too simple or to be dismissive. The only problem is, is that it doesn't work very well. And the point is, everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. Uh, Just about a year ago, in June of 2018, the Gallup organization, the number one polling organization in America, did a study to try to find out what Americans think about values and moral morality, moral values. And they'd done this study numerous times before, but this was the most recent, and yet it was the most revealing, because in this study, they found that 49%, almost half, just about half, of Americans say that the state of moral values in the U.S. is poor. This is the highest percentage that Gallup has ever measured since they started measuring this. 37% of U.S. respondents declared moral values fair, and 14% said they were excellent or good. The article goes on to say that the latest figures are the worst to date, with a record high 49% rating values as poor, and a record low 14% rating them as excellent or good. And then they went even further. They asked the respondents whether U.S. moral values are getting better or worse. And what do you think they found? Worse. But it blows you away. 77% of respondents say that moral values in the United States are getting worse. Only 18% said that they are getting better. So everybody agrees. I mean, it's just, the, 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 the results are in that the values in the U.S. are no longer any good and that they are getting worse. Now, I know how some of you think. You think, well, they must have only polled Republicans and Evangelical Christians, right? (laughs) Not at all. This is a fascinating study because it goes on to note, and I'll read it directly from the report here, that Republicans and Democrats' moral value index scores are currently equally negative. With Republicans at minus 48 and Democrats at minus 46. So everybody, Republicans, Democrats, nobody likes the trajectory of moral values in our country. And though, you probably guessed it, they're for very different reasons that people might not like them. The point is simple. This idea of a common morality or a secular morality does not work. There's just enough in it to tick off everybody. And that's what's happening in our country. And I would also submit to you that because of this common morality and the secular morality, now, now listen close, gang. I would also submit to you that this is why there are so many people today confused on a moral level. And I'm talking about people who are confused about sexuality, reproductive rights, liberty and freedom how to prioritize the poor, immigration, and a host of other issues, now watch this, that the Bible has a lot to say about. But you and I are swimming in dirty water. You and I are like fish just sucking it in each day. And we have to realize that the water we're swimming in is no longer clean. And if ever we needed a foundation of what is good and evil, right and wrong, it's now. Because the Bible Cemented in God's character and cemented in his revelation, watch this, is the only way to discern between good and evil. That's what this passage is saying. When Solomon asked for wisdom, he knew that that wisdom had to come from God, and that wisdom included an understanding of good and evil. So add up where we've come from today. Life in the world is about a character that builds upon experience. It builds upon a broad view of things, a moral compass. And then a fourth trait, and this one's going to make some of you a little bit itchy under the collar because a lot of Christians struggle with this one, but let's note it, is humility. Wisdom comes from a life of humility. Again, tracking this idea of discerning that Hebrew word being through its Old Testament usages, look at what the prophet Isaiah says. This is wild. He says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever, this is that Hebrew word being just translated the word here, clever, in their own sight. So what's the prophet saying here? He's warning that those who try to find wisdom and discernment through their own efforts aren't going to find it that if they literally try to see themselves through their own eyes, their own sight, that they're going to fail in trying to find wisdom. The obvious implication here is that our vision in life needs to be guided from a truth outside of us, a truth that comes from God. And here's my point in telling you that, gang. You and I both know that to do that takes a lot of humility because you have to admit that you're not the captain of your own ship You have to admit you don't have all the answers. You have to admit that you are finite in your existence. And you have to admit, as Simon and Garfunkel used to sing about, you're no longer an island. That you are not on your own. That you need God. You don't want God. You need God. And I'll take it even further. Once you realize you need God, you now need his people. You're not going to always want his people. But you need them in order to live a life of humility or wisdom. And admitting that takes a lot of humility. You know, I'm not going to extrapolate on this very long, but it's something you guys should know about me. I, and, I, and I don't mean to make this sound at all condescending or, or bragging or anything, but it's just my upbringing. I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a really nice home in Chagrin Falls, Ohio, And uh, by a nice home, I just mean my dad, who was born in the Great Depression and didn't have two nickels to rub together, and his dad died when he was, you know, uh, seven years old, uh, just did really well. And uh, he went off to college and then law school and eventually became a partner at a very nice firm in downtown Cleveland. And all of his friends were doctors and lawyers and people like that. And so I grew up around successful professional people. And the reason that that is actually a blessing for me is that now that I'm pastoring here in Scottsdale, and I hope you can see the irony in this, is that as I rub shoulders now with a lot of people who themselves have you know, experienced a lot of success and money and things like that, because that's what this town is about, here's what you need to know, and I hope you can take this in the right light. I am not impressed at all. In other words, I grew up with that. That was a staple of my existence. And there were lots of people around me that had that, and here's all I know, and they were lost as lost could be. They did not know God. They did not submit to him. They did not have peace in their souls. Their marriages were a mess. Their children did not turn out very well. In other words, all the success in the world, Jesus talked about this a lot, does not mean that you're gonna have the wisdom and even the success in other areas of life, and we all should know that. So when I meet people today, I love you guys, but your professional success means diddly to me. It really does. No, what impresses me, watch this, when I meet successful people in Scottsdale today is when they are humble and when they are broken and when they are bending the knee to their creator, and their savior. Man, that impresses me to experience success in life and not read your own press releases, but to realize that as successful as you might be, you still have something in you that you know is not right. The Bible calls it a sinful nature and that that sinful nature needs to be dealt with. And that the only way you're going to deal with it is by looking God in the face and saying, help. And then he sends you a savior named Jesus, and you humble yourself before him. And then that affects your marriage and your parenting and all the other areas of your life. Now that impresses me. Humble Christians are very encouraging to me. And then lastly, the fifth trait of life in the world, and this one kind of goes along with humility, is being correctable. So if you're a humble person, here's what's going to happen. When somebody tries to correct you because you're humble you're gonna be able to be corrected. Now look at how the Proverbs says this in Proverbs 17, 17, 10. It says, a rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding. That's that Hebrew word there for discernment than a hundred blows into a fool. That's kind of a gritty verse, isn't it? <laughs> so strike a fool a hundred times. Man, it's not much gonna happen. The guy's a fool. He's not gonna to listen to you. Uh, but, but rebuke a, a, a humble, wise person and that person is going to listen to you because it goes deep. So add up this idea of life in the world. Here's what we've seen. Experience, broad view, moral compass, humility, correctable. See, here's the point. As you develop a character like this in your Monday through Saturday life, here's what God says. You're going, you're going to begin to have wisdom. Why? Because wisdom precedes character. And and, 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 I'm sorry, character precedes wisdom. And it's this kind of character that's gonna allow you to find wisdom in this world. Now, we're fast running out of time. I mean, we are literally got like four or five minutes left and we have five more character traits to look at. Now, here's the good news for you clock watchers. I'm gonna whip through these things. And the reason is, is because these things that I'm about ready to talk about, we talk about all the time here at Scottsdale Bible Church. In other words, when I, we talk now about our walk with God and the kind of character it takes in order to receive wisdom, these are things that though we're going to whip through them now, come back because these are the things that we focus on all the time. Here's the first one in your walk with God, being theocentric, spiritually sensitive. Look at how the Bible says it. It says, you are my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed and there will be none after me. Just pause on this for a second. By theocentric, I mean God-centered. So so what is God saying to the prophet here and by, by extension, you and me? He's simply saying that I want you to believe in me, to focus on me, to trust me, to know me each moment of each day. My friend Larry Crab calls this a God-obsessed life. And that's the idea. If all you do is think about God in the morning when you have your little devotion and then maybe at the end of the day or during meals when you pray, I mean, okay, but that's not a God-obsessed life. Being theocentric each moment of each day and asking God to make you that, that's a character that has wisdom. Uh, go on to the next one here. Uh, not the next pastor's the next uh, trait here. Uh, word-focused. Man, we talk about this all the time here at Scottsdale Bible Church. Look at what Psalm 119 verse 130 says. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So the Bible is really clear that the Bible is the centerpiece of our wisdom when it comes to following God. And that if you want understanding, if you want discernment, it's going to come from understanding the things that God has revealed to you some of you are saying right now, but, but I do read the Bible and I don't always get the answers I want. Listen to what Eugene Peterson says. This is really cool. He says, when we find ourselves deficient in wisdom, it is not because the word of God has pages missing, but because we have not seen all there is on the pages we already have. He says, it is not another book we need, but better attention to the book we have. It is not more knowledge we require, but better vision to see what God, has already been revealed, what God has already been revealed in Jesus Christ. You wonder why we're doing the immerse thing this summer? Why we're asking all of you to read the New Testament as a body of Christ, and I'll be doing it with you, my wife Kim and I, is because we know that we cannot immerse ourselves enough in the word of God to get the wisdom that we need third character trait is God's ways. Look at how Hosea says it, the very last verse of of Hosea. It says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. Watch this. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. So a discerning person, a person of understanding, that's the word we're tracing, understands the ways of the Lord. This is almost for another sermon here. But do you understand that the people who are wise, now watch this, they, they know the movement of God in this world and even in other people's lives. I, I, I had a real confusing, chaotic time a few weeks ago. I was just a mess in my spirit. So I sat in this parking lot here out back. It was empty. It was during the week and it was late at night. And I called my friend and mentor, Larry Crabb, and I shared with him what was going on in my spirit. And, and, and he said, well, it sounds like you're looking for some control, and chaos, or some control and clarity in the midst of your confusion. And I said, yeah, I really am. And he said, but it sounds like God isn't giving you that right now, right? And I said, yeah, he's really not. And I'll never forget what he said next. He said, that sounds like God to me. He said, I'm not sure God is always gonna function on your timeline. I'm not sure God always wants you to get the answers that you want, because if you do, then you might not trust him and cling to him in your time of need. And I said to Larry, that's not what I wanna hear tonight. (laughs) He said, I know, but but maybe that's what God is doing. I hung up on the phone and I thought, that's a man who understands the ways of God. My question is, do you? Do you understand God in his movements? And if you don't, maybe develop the kind of character it starts to see the movement of God, and you might just be wiser in helping others. Uh, These last two are are obvious ones. God's love uh, is is central to developing wisdom. Look at how the the psalmist says it. Psalm 107, verse 43, who is wise, let him consider the loving kindness of the Lord. So so wisdom and and this idea of considering, discerning the loving kindness of the Lord go together. And then lastly, we we would not want to forget this one is obedience. That if you want to live a life of wisdom, it will only come because you have a character that knows how to obey God when he says something to you. Look at how the psalmist again puts it. He says, give me understanding, that's that Hebrew word discernment we're following through here, that I may learn your commandments. So faithfulness, obedience, doing what God says, following his commandments are critical to living a life of wisdom. Again, add it all up here, gang. You got this idea of being theocentric every moment of every day, word focused, knowing God's ways, his love being obedient. Those are the things that we talk about all the time around here. Those are the things that will develop a character in you that breeds wisdom. So let's wrap this up. Going back to our introductory story. Here's the good news. I don't ghost ride cars anymore as I pass by iconic landmarks in my hometown. That's the good news. I I, I got some wisdom very quick by the age of 19 that prevented me from doing that. But in all seriousness, here's where I'm at at the age of 55, is that I still realize, like when I was 18, that I don't have all the answers. And that there are plenty of days I don't know what to do. And even worse, there are days where I think I do know what to do and I'm dead wrong. And so I know how much wisdom I need. And I've also realized that it's character that precedes wisdom. So I, for one, and I hope you join me in committing the rest of my life to developing these 10 traits. And that as I do that, as I develop an experience base and a broad view and all the things we talked about in life in the world, and then as I focus on my walk with God, he just might give me more wisdom. It's actually a promise. And that wisdom only benefits those around me. I hope you join me in that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you that you show us these things in your word that are so life-giving if we will but believe them and act upon them. And God, I got to believe that there are many, if not most of us here today, that would like to have the kind of character that results in a, in a wise, wise life. And so, God, I pray that as we focus on these things in our lives, life in the world and our walk with you, that, God, you would continue to forge a character that results in in wisdom getting in our lives. That's my prayer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And we all say together, Amen. Um, Thank you, Pastor.